Uh, I don't know about you, but I know that when we had our first kids, I, I mean, I honestly thought I was ready to be a parent. I, I remember sort of thinking that I was prepared for it, which obviously was a delusion that was clearly and soundly corrected in about two days, uh, at, at which point I could have used a good parenting pep talk, frankly. Uh, because listening, parenting is really hard. Parenting is really, really hard. Parenting, I'm just kidding. It's hard. Uh, And and looking back at my approach when we first had uh, the first of our three children, I I thought, you know, I believed I was prepared. I thought I was ready for parenting. And I was grossly unaware of the all-consuming nature of caring for another human being all the time. I was so clueless about this. I remember thinking at the time, okay, I'm 26. I've been a collegiate athlete. I've got energy for days. I'm going to conquer this uh, daddy thing from the beginning. I mean, how hard could this be? You change the baby when it cries. You feed the baby. You rock the baby. Repeat. (laughs) I sort of felt like, uh, at age 26, I got energy for days. I'm going to conquer this thing, and I'm going to be writing books about how to raise kids soon. Which, of course, after two nights of change, feed, rock, repeat, ad nauseum and infinitum until you uh, don't, don't know which way is up, um, you begin to notice that your prayer life increases. And parenting becomes this, this growth process that God uses uh, for you. But for me, I know that it's like I thought there was a, a, a formula, a one-to-one relationship about the way I think it's going to happen, the way it should happen, and it will happen. It's like there was this formula for parenting, you know, wash, rinse, repeat, that kind of thing. Everything, everything stays clean. But, but that's not how life works, is it? That's not how life works. And pretty soon it's like nothing stays clean. Life isn't wash, rinse, repeat. It doesn't work that way. There are no easily formulas. And one of the places we learn that is especially with parenting. Now don't get me wrong. Uh, I love being a parent. I love my kids. I would do anything for them uh, to, to bring them to greater faith in Jesus Christ. But parenting is really tough. Parenting is, just think about this. Life by itself is tough. We all know this. Life, while having a job, likewise tough. Life, while having a job, while being married, tough. Life, while having a job, while being married, throw kids into that mix and all bets are off for your plans and purposes and your formulas that you thought would work based on your expectations. There was somebody who said, uh, before I got married, I had six theories about bringing up children. Now I have six children and no theories. (laughs) Now, we're not going to exactly give you a parenting pep talk today, uh, but but that parenting pep talk is 
is kind of like how some people twist this verse in Proverbs 22. Uh, People sort of use this verse to sort of give parenting pep talks to people who are in the midst of this struggle of of parenting children so that they have faith in Christ. Let me explain what this looks like. Maybe you've experienced this sort of feeling of life as a merry-go-round where you can't ever get off. Can I get a witness? That's, That's most of us. I mean, isn't that what most of our lives look like nowadays? You've got your spouse and your kids and your pets and your bills for which you are responsible. You've got your laundry, your messes, Cheerios in the floorboards and all that gunk that gets stuck underneath the seats that sort of grows like moss underneath there. You're always going to practices and games and rehearsals and recitals, PTA meetings, uh, school things, church things. And oh yeah, I have a full-time job. And oh yeah, I have a spouse I'm supposed to care for. And oh yeah, I've got to have dinner on the table by five. And oh yeah, I'm also supposed to help them learn to love Jesus. That, that's the mix in which parenting, parenting experiences somebody coming to bring a parenting pep talk of Proverbs 22.6. A well-meaning person usually coming along saying something, something like, Oh, don't you worry, honey. I know that it's hard, but you have to remember, Scripture says, just train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That pep talk was sponsored by a Southern Bell, I guess. <laughs> Proverbs 22.6. If you're not there, look at it with me here. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, He will not depart from it. Parenting pep talk. Easy as pie. It's like a recipe, really. Two godly parents, a dash of church, a sprinkling of Jesus, VBS every summer, let it bake for 18 years, and presto, follower of Christ. That's kind of how we think about it sometimes. It's kind of how we talk about it based on this verse, really. I mean, it's it's like a baking show where everything's put in separate bowls and handy just to put in there. You just put a little bit of this and a little bit of this. You put it in the oven and presto, automatically in, in two seconds, it's, it's baked to a perfect golden brown. It's just that easy. So we, we think, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, if you've raised them right, they will come around. I mean, it says, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's a formula. Put this in, get this out. Christian parenting. But friends, this is not how it always works. Truth be told, I know of many parents and many families and homes that are very godly. Parents who are men and women of deep faith, who pray with their children, who teach them about Christ in their homes, who raise them in the body of Christ. And I know many God-honoring parents who have struggled with children who are far from God. If it's a formula, if it's a one-for-one relationship, put this in, get this out, then how come it doesn't happen 100% of the times? I mean, think about the pain of losing a child. I've lost a child for 30 seconds in the grocery store and been thrown into an instant 
panic. Think about what the heartbreak is like when a child isn't just lost, but chooses to run away from God. It is perhaps one of the most heartbreaking things a parent can experience. And parents who have experienced this, this prodigal child kind of thing, look at this simplistic formula, the way we approach Proverbs 22.6, this sort of lazy way of reading the scripture, and they only wonder, what did I do wrong? I mean, they look up at God and they say, clearly I have done something wrong. Was it me, Lord? So, so either parents with rebellious kids are ungodly and are deceived, or there's something else going on in this scripture passage than our interpretation of a formula. Either parents with rebellious kids are deceived, or there's something else this passage is communicating. So let's dig in a little deeper here and see what we can learn together. We're going to do this in two ways today. We're going to take two passes, two passes at Proverbs 22.6. First, we're going to take a 30,000 feet view. I want to introduce a big picture concept that's going to be a a tool in your Bible toolbox, a tool in your Bible interpretation toolbox uh, that by itself will transform the way you read this passage. Uh, This one concept will fix the problem by itself. Secondly, we're going to look a little closer and dissect the verse a bit, sort of phrase by phrase to get our heads around it. Uh, so, so first, this big picture concept, this interpretive concept that you need to know about is the concept of genre, G, G-E-N-R-E. And it's uh, listed on the back of your study notes there. Yes, it's French. It's genre, genre. I need some more of this before I do that. There we go, genre. There we go. Uh, it's a French word that just means a kind or type. Uh, In this case, it's a type or kind of literature. And and here's the thing. You need to know the type of literature you're reading when you approach the Bible. Even within the Bible itself. You need to know the type of literature you're reading. There are lots of different genres in the Bible. Uh, This isn't necessarily an exhaustive list. But here are the basics to be aware of. We've listed them there for you in the study notes. Just run through those real quick. We've got poetry. Uh, Psalms is an example of that. Lots of poetry in Psalms. Poetry in lots of other places as well. Narrative or story. Uh, it, it is what it sounds like. You can find this in most books of the Bible. Also the epistles or letters. Uh, we commonly think of Paul's letters to the churches. Uh, Paul wrote epistles. Prophecy. Uh, Daniel is a... Uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah is an example of prophecy, and there are loads of prophetic books, both major and minor prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, Apocalyptic is different than prophecy. It's like Revelation or Daniel. Uh, And then there's a parable, which we know is in the Gospels a lot. It's its own uh, genre, its own type of literature. And then there's also the Gospel genre. Uh, Gospel is its own type of literature. And then wisdom is what we're looking at today, like the Proverbs. Uh, if you want to see a little more there, I've given you a, a link to look at about wisdom literature. Uh, you can just visit that, and it gives you a good, a good overview on a page there of uh, ri- wisdom literature. So you need to know the type of literature that you are reading, even within the Bible, because you, listen, you don't read all parts of Scripture exactly the same way. Notice I didn't say that some parts are more inspired than others, I said you don't read all parts of Scripture exactly the same way. You don't read symbols the same way that you read historical narrative. It's the same way in everyday life. You don't read a novel the same way you read a newspaper. 
You can read a novel and get 10 pages in and say, when is anything going to happen? It's been description about somebody. You can read a newspaper and you can be 10 words into it and you know half of what's going on in the entire story because the action comes quickly. You read things differently. So this genre for uh, Proverbs is what we call wisdom literature. Let me, let me explain it a bit of a different way. Think about this with me. This verse, uh, Proverbs 22.6, think about this with me here. This verse, Proverbs 22.6, is in the book of Proverbs. Yes, good, you're listening. <laughs> uh, and Proverbs is uh, so named because it's filled with Yes. So, what's a proverb? In basic terms, two words, wisdom, saying. A proverb is a wisdom saying. It's a phrase that, that becomes well-known because it highlights a, a truth about life. Now, now, here's the key. It's a human saying about life. It's most certainly true because the, the, the foundational stuff about it that makes it true is true because of God making it true, but it's a human experience saying about life. Uh, it's from a human perspective, and it's not, thus saith the Lord, comma. Now, there's one particular feature of wisdom sayings that will untwist, that will untwist this formulaic way of reading Proverbs 22.6. And this is too good just to write it in your notes there. So I want you to, to fill in these blanks there. It's the only blanks that we have today. This will untwist the meaning for us. It says this, a proverb is not a proverb is not a promise, but a principle. A proverb is not a promise, but a principle. Wisdom sayings are not the same as scriptural promises. From God. This isn't thus saith the Lord. These are the principles of man. And here's a key to interpreting them well. Even when they are stated as if there is a direct and necessary consequence that always holds true, if this, then always that. Even if they are stated as that, just like in Proverbs 22.6, they are stated as a principle, not a promise. So when you read, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You are reading the wisdom of Solomon, a man who is taking well-known cultural sayings and putting them in a book. This doesn't mean that God's truth isn't involved, that it's not the underpinning, or that we shouldn't include it in Scripture. It just means we need to know what we're reading. It's a human saying based on godly truth, but this is not a thus saith the Lord. And it is stated as a promise, even if it's simply stated that way to communicate a principle. Now, I'm not making this up. We do this all the time in normal life. We have our own sayings. We sometimes state things as a promise, as if it is 100% of the time true, but really we're trying to communicate a principle that's underpinning that idea. Let me show you. Here are a few you've probably uh, heard before. This isn't in the study notes, but, but you probably know this one, obviously. Uh, an apple a day... Keeps the doctor away. Yes. <laughs> I remember thinking about this one as a kid. And uh, true story, feeling like, what does this even mean? Because <laughs> it's not true. Yes, I was that kid. Hashtag dork. Um, but just, 
But just think this, think this through for a second with me. If you eat an apple a day, do you really think you will never have to go visit the doctor? Of course not. As a principle stated, even if it's verbalized as a promise to emphasize the point. Here's another example. A man is known by the company he a man is known by the company he keeps. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I think about some of my friends, I think, you know what? I want to be known for me sometimes and not just them. Uh, kidding, of course, but my point here is that sometimes, sometimes a man is actually known for who he is and not just those around him. So it's stated as something that is 100% of the time true, even though there's just a principle involved to emphasize the point. One more here. Uh, a rolling stone gathers no... Okay. Who sits around long enough to watch stones roll to make sure they gather no moss? Uh, where is the weird laboratory where that happens? And yes, I know Mythbusters, TV addicts, Mythbusters did test that, and it, it actually is, in fact, a promise. Every time a rolling stone happens, no moss gathers, so I guess that one is a promise. So back to Proverbs 22.6. If a proverb is not a promise but a principle, in other words, it's a general rule that communicates a main point and not necessarily all the details, then we can better see how to read this. If we train, this is Proverbs 22.6, if we train a child for godliness, then as a general rule, as a principle, even if your child turns away for a time, runs away from God, it's saying hold out hope. Hold out hope. Don't give up. If you've done your part in a godly manner, if you've raised them right to love Jesus, you can be confident that you have done what God has called you to do and you have the, they, they have the right knowledge that will hopefully lead them to the right behavior. But it's not a promise. It's not a 100% of the time relationship. It's not if this, then this automatically. You cannot be responsible for all of the response to your right training. Now, the emphasis is on training. We'll get to that in a second, believe me. We'll get to that in a second. But the sad truth is that uh, our children don't always respond as we'd like. This is saying, though, but it is at least a principle that they usually do. In fact, it is a principle because they often do continue in the faith, you see. That's why it's a principle in the first place. So that's the first sort of big picture pass at Proverbs 22.6. Uh, a proverb is not a promise, but it's a principle. Now our second pass at 22.6 here, and we're going to look a little deeper at these phrases today in a couple different ways. Cool stuff to dissect here. So this first phrase in verse 6 says, train up a child. Train up a child. There's a really interesting uh, feature of the Hebrew word here for train uh, that will help us understand this a bit. The word used here for train has its, its roots, its uh, foundational meaning that comes from a verb that was used to describe the process of rubbing a newborn baby's 
tongue with a mixture of dates. Dates was kind of like a candy uh, back in the ancient Near East. So they would rub this mixture of dates on the tongue of a newborn child to get it the taste for sucking, to, to start to train it to, to, to be prepared for uh, nursing. So to train means to get the child accustomed to the taste of the things of God. Now let's talk for a bit. Remember, this is a principle, not a promise. And the principle is stated as a promise so that we will not miss the main thing. And the main thing is train, train. It's stated first for emphasis for a reason. It says, train up a child. For the Christian parent, to train is to get the child to have a taste for the way that leads to life everlasting. Someone with the wisdom of the way to go leads someone who does not know the way. It's just disciple making. It's just discipleship. Parenting is making a disciple. It is nothing else. It is nothing else that matters if it's not making a disciple. And the word train is placed first for emphasis to show that the responsibility lies with the parent, with the one who knows the way. Proverbs is saying, if, if, if nothing else, you've got to do this. No matter what else you do as a parent, you've got to train your child in the way to know God. Your child has to have a taste for the things of godliness based on your child's relationship with you. Which means, listen to this, please get this through your heads, American parents. You cannot train for, for godliness by dropping off your kid at a Sunday school class or youth group. You do not have the luxury of abdicating, of of passing off your responsibility to train your child for godliness. You have to be the one who trains by the model of your own faith. If you don't model a genuine and a vibrant walk with God, your kid will not know the way to God. It will not know the taste of the things of God from you. And the evil one in that vacuum will find a way to disciple your child into its own way, into the evil one's way to death. Unless somebody else comes along and saves your child from destruction. And listen, this country is filled filled with moms and dads who claim Christ but will shell out ungodly amounts of money and time to show a child how to hunt, how to fish, how to play sports, how to dress right, how to put on makeup, how to do math. But they cannot bring themselves. They cannot bring themselves to so much as pray in front of their own children. Because deep down they fear that it would reveal they do not have a vibrant walk with God. And and I promise you, I promise you, if you do not model it, your kid will not buy into your words. They will be empty. You cannot fool your own kids. You are called to train up a child in the right way that leads to life. And if you love your child, that instead of training them for the American dream, you are to warn them against 
the American dream of safety and luxury because it is an easy and it is a comfortable road to eternal death. When it is all said and done, just before that final moment, when God remakes the heavens and the earth and He reveals the fullness of His power and glory, the landscape of this country will tragically be littered with the corpses of millions of children who were taught to love civility and success instead of Jesus Christ. And that's a tragedy. That is a tragedy. Please hear this from God. Your guidance and your teaching for anything and everything means nothing if your children do not see the heart of Jesus in you. So train. Train them. You have to train them. So, (laughs) how do we train up a child? It says this, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Train up a child in the way he should go. There's a, there's a question of interpretation here about this phrase, and we've put this in your study notes here. Uh, this is an interesting problem we have here. There are three different ways to look at this, and the way he should go. Proverbs 22.6. Is this saying, this phrase, in the way he should go, number one, is this saying that training is preparation for walking down the way that leads to life, in other words, the right way of moral goodness, the things that come from the heart of God. Number two, is it saying that each child has a different bent, a different sort of personality, and the training needs to account for that bent or personality? I mean, it doesn't take long to realize your kids are very different. And and one kid needs one thing, another kid needs another thing, another kid may, may need something you didn't even plan for, have any idea about that would be different from the other two. But... And those of you with six or seven, I don't even know what you're doing. Good luck with that. Number three, is it perhaps simply saying uh, that you should train up a child in a way that a child should be trained? In other words, taking into account its development. It's just a way of saying, train your child like a child can hear in a language a child can understand. These are some of the three, these are the three basic ways that all the, the Bible scholars sort of look at this and, and take an approach uh, by it. But is it one of these? Is it all of these? Is it a combination of them? Here's my basic answer. Uh, honestly, I don't know. I don't know for sure. And what we're doing in this series is we're coming alongside a passage. We're trying to open up sort of the, the preacher's study and we're saying, this is, this is what Bible interpretation looks like and we want to give you tools for, for how to do that. So when you come to something like this and you're like, well, there are three different ways to do it and there are a lot of people who say this. There are also a lot of people who say this. There are a whole bunch of other folks who say this. What do we do? Well, we step back for a second and we think, okay, what, what do we know about this verse so far? Well, we've just talked about it. We do know that we are called to train, that the emphasis, regardless of everything else that happens, is for us to train up a child. That's the responsibility. That's the main emphasis. And, and then you have to ask yourself this question. Of those three, is there anything wrong with any one of those three things? No. I mean, there's nothing wrong, number one, with saying that this training is for walking the way that leads to life. I mean, obviously, moral goodness is 
is something we're supposed to do when we train our children. Number two, is it saying that we should do that in a way that accounts for kids being different? That, that's part of the features of some of the Hebrew underneath that. Yeah, that, that's something we should do. Different kids need some different kind of training. Number three, should we take into account verbalizing this in a way that kids can understand? Well, I, I, absolutely. Of course you would. So we approach it this way. Number one, are we to train up a child for preparation right and wrong? Yes. Number two, in a manner that fits with the child's bent? Yes. To train up a child, number three, in a way that, that any child could understand developmentally? Absolutely. So there, those three features become for us a filter for, for how we are to parent based on Scripture. Train a child for godliness. This is in your notes there. For godliness, according to their needs, in a language they can understand. Right there, those three, if you as a Christian parent use just that filter for how to, how to treat your children and bring them up in the fear of the Lord for godliness, according to their needs, in a way that they can understand, you can't go wrong with this one verse. If you do that, if you train up a child in the way he should go for godliness, according to their needs, using language they can understand, then Lord willing, as, as a principle, even when the child is old, he will not depart from it. So, so here's my question, plain and simple. Whether you're a parent, you're a grandparent, you're, you're anybody and everybody who exists in this world for, for God's purposes. My question is, who are you training? Who are you training? You don't have to be the parent of a biological child to be doing this. This, this isn't about just biology. This, that, that, that's merely a specific application of the general principle of discipleship, of disciple making. Uh, this, this life's joy and worth is found in participating with God in His plan of, of spiritual reproduction. I mean, think about this. When God made the world, He did so with the intent that all creation would be fruitful and would multiply. Genesis 1.28, the first command to His people. And so He created us so that we would multiply the goodness of God so that our lives would scatter the goodness of God like seed across the world. With your life, be fruitful for God's glory. That's spiritual reproduction. And listen to Jesus' words in John 15.8. Great verse. You should just keep this verse in your head. By this, my Father is glorified. John 15.8. By this, my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Proof of following Christ is spiritual fruit. Proof of following Christ is spiritual fruit. Reproduction of the life of God in you in the life of another. 
And that's the whole ball of wax right there. That's, that's the whole thing right there. The life of God in you, brought to us, embodied by the person of Jesus, implanted into us by the Holy Spirit to make us fruitful. Reproduction of the life of God in you, in the life of another. So with, with your life, be fruitful for God's glory. If that is happening in your life, others around you will notice and God just might use your life in the life of another. That's, that's parenting, that's friendship, that's co-workers, that's, that's every relationship you have within your family, within the context of your workplace. If, if, just, if just 20 of us took on spiritual reproduction as our life's calling, uh, this place would soon be bursting with people who are speaking the wonders of life transformation brought about by God's Spirit, if just 20 of us. If just 10 of us took on spiritual reproduction as our life's calling, the kingdom of God, which we long for, would be revealed in power that the world and those around us could not deny as the inbreaking of eternity into time, light into darkness that brings dead people to life. Just ten of us. Friend, if you took on spiritual reproduction as your life's calling, then maybe at least one, maybe at least one would know the beauty and the joy of the presence of God in their life. Will you be the one to train up one of God's children in the way he should go?